So our scripture reading this evening is Colossians chapter 3, and we will read to the end of verse 11. Hear then the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of God, and our text is going to be the first part of this section. We'll be preaching two sermons on 5 through 11, so this will be the first one. So this evening, we continue our study in Paul's letter to the Colossians. This passage begins a section in this letter to the Colossian church, which deals with some of the details of practical Christian living. As you know, in most of Paul's letters to the churches, he begins with teaching certain perspectives about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, And then he transitions, which is a continuation of the good news, but the the focus is different. He transitions to describing the kind of life that is expected of those who have believed in Jesus and are following him. And in our studies in Colossians, we have looked carefully at Paul's teaching about Jesus and the glorious truths about being united to him by faith that Paul has covered in the first part of the letter. And now we begin our study of what Paul is going to be teaching us about the Christian life in the second half of the letter. Paul's practice in treating the nuts and bolts of Christian living um, after this practice of teaching that after teaching his readers about salvation in Jesus Christ, that practice is very significant and very, very important. There's no question that the Christian life involves a lot of do's and don'ts. There are sins that are forgiven, forbidden. There are commands to be obeyed, the law of God, and the need to obey it are very important, is a very important part of the Christian message. But it is absolutely crucial 
that the do's and don'ts of Christian living are never separated from the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. To consider the law of God apart from the gospel is to create a different religion. That is not the religion of the Bible. The necessity of obedience to God's law is an integral part of the biblical message, but it may never be separated from Jesus Christ and salvation in him. The law exposes our need, our sin, so that we become aware of our need of Jesus and salvation in him. The law exposes our sin to show us our need of Christ and to drive us to him. And keeping the law for believers is the thankful and willing response of those who are forgiven and renewed through being united to Christ by faith. Thinking of obedience separate from all of that is not biblical Christianity. But understood in its biblical context, obedience is an essential part of the Christian life. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keeping Jesus' commandments involves both turning away from sin and turning to positive obedience. There are sinful behaviors and attitudes that are to be turned away from. And there are other good behaviors and attitudes that are to be turned to. The Christian life involves many do's and don'ts understood in the light of the truth of the gospel. The don'ts are about turning away from death. And the do's are about living the abundant life that Christ came so that we might live. The don'ts are about turning away from slavery. The do's are about embracing freedom. The don'ts are about avoiding subhuman living. The do's are about the fullness of true humanity as God designed it. The verses that we're going to look at this evening are about turning from sin. In the next paragraph, Paul turns to the kinds of behaviors and attitudes that believers are to put on. But here, he is talking about the negative in the sense of turning from sin. So in 5, verse 5, he writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The word, therefore, connects this exhortation with the gospel. In the first four verses of, chapter, of the chapter, Paul had reminded the Christians that they had been raised with Christ, that they had died and their life was hidden with Christ in God, that Christ was their life, and that when he appeared, Christ, when Christ appeared, they would appear with him in glory. That's all gospel. And those things are true of every single believer. They are alive in Christ. And then Paul says, therefore, because of all those truths, those realities, put to death 
what is earthly in you. Because they are alive in Christ, they are to put sexual morality to death in their lives. They are to put impurity to death. They are to put passion to death. They are to put evil desire to death. They are to put covetousness, which is idolatry, to death. And clearly, this is serious business. The idea of putting things to death emphasizes that this is very serious. It's sort of like finding cancer in the human body using using chemotherapy. The cancer is deadly. If the cancer cells are not destroyed, they destroy the person in whom they are active. The The process of killing the cancer cells is painful, but it is urgent and it is absolutely necessary. Without it, the patient dies. Paul make, uh, Jesus makes the same point using similar imagery, not exactly the same, but similar. In Matthew 5.30, he says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. So the imagery of putting sin to death, of cutting off your right hand, underscores how urgent it is to deal decisively with sin. And verse 6 of, the, of this text corresponds to this point. Says, Paul says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Those who do not put sin to death will one day experience the wrath of God. <clears throat> there are other verses that speak about the wrath of God on the unsaved in the present, but this verse is speaking about it in the future. The wrath of God is coming. Those who do not put sin to death will face the wrath of God at the end of their lives. Now, it's important to grapple with the various ways that Paul speaks of and to believers. Very important in our understanding of the New Testament and getting all of its message. Paul had just affirmed in the earlier part of the chapter that these people he's writing to, that they have been raised with Christ, that their lives were hidden with Christ in God. He had assured them that when Christ appears, they will appear with him in glory. But now, the next breath, he warns them that if they do not put sin to death, they can expect to face the wrath of God. He doesn't put it quite like that, but it's certainly implied here. All who fail to put sin to death in their lives will surely face the wrath of God at the end of the age. And there's a tension here that must be maintained. The gospel is for sinners. All who hear the gospel are invited to come to Jesus freely and without price to receive forgiveness of their sins. Whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. We come as we are. We cannot make ourselves worthy by trying to change our lives first. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. But one of the gifts that comes with forgiveness is life in Christ. We're changed. From being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. And that leads to putting sin to death. We want to. 
and we must put sin to death. And if we do not, the wrath of God is coming. If we are truly saved, we will live the life of the saved. If we do not live the life of the saved, we are not truly saved. Let's think a little more about putting sin to death. I want to begin by by putting the idea, this particular idea of putting sin to death, in a broader context of thinking about the Christian life. David Powison, some of you know of him, shortly before he died last year, he wrote a little book called How Does Sanctification Work? We're talking about sanctification here when we're talking about putting sin to death. And David Powison wrote this wonderful book, How Does Sanctification Work? In that book, David Powelson is arguing against what he calls reductionism in our thinking about sanctification. So one of his titles is, Is There One Key to Sanctification? And the answer that the chapter gives is no. There is no one key to sanctification. There are a number of things that contribute to our sanctification, to our spiritual growth, to our growing in grace. But then there's another chapter that's called What Changes You? And Powelson in that chapter mentions five things, common things, hopefully easy to remember. He says, truth changes you. God changes you. So the Holy Spirit directly working in our heart. Suffering and struggle change you. Wise people change you. And then fifthly, he says simply, you change. You still have to change. You still have to make a decision and do something different. So many things continue to contribute to growing in holiness. We change through the influence of biblical teaching. We change through... God's miraculous work in our hearts and lives, suffering and struggles. God uses them to change us, to grow us. And other people influence us in profound ways, godly examples that inspire us, for instance. They're a factor that God uses in our sanctification, but then there is simply our decision to change. You change. Putting sin to death is in this last category. You change. This is something we are called to do. We do it using strength that God provides. See, we can't even talk about it without bringing in the gospel. We do it through the life that we have in Christ. But it is something we are called to do. That's something that happens to us, something we are called to do. Many factors contribute, but the factor that is in focus here is our choice to put sin to death, and however that choice is implemented in our lives. And so it is saying no to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It is deciding not to engage in those 
things. It is resisting the temptation to engage in these sins. It is exercising self-control and not indulging uh, the desires towards these sins. The idea of putting sin to death, what is earthly in us, points to the extent of the action that we must take against these sins. He doesn't say put them to sleep. Paul's not talking about just having a little less or even a lot less of sexual morality in your life. He's talking about not doing them at all. He's talking about rooting them out completely. He's talking about destroying every hint of them in our lives. Putting something to death is radical. It's about completely turning away from these sins. Now that does not mean that we will ever be completely successful in this life. The fact that Paul here tells us to put these sins to death assumes that they are not yet put to death completely. Christians never get to the point in life where they can, where even these types of sins are completely eradicated. And yet that's always the goal. We can never just, just allow a little bit of these sins to remain. We're not allowed to be at peace with, sec- with a little sexual immorality with a little covetousness. Putting these sins to death means the goal is to kill them. To kill them off completely. We're never done this work of putting sin to death until the sins are really and truly dead. We are to seek to utterly stop Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now that's easier said than done. I think you know that. It's one thing to want to put sin to death. It's another thing to actually do it. Now, already wanting to put sin to death is a good thing. That already is a miracle of grace. Because by nature we just want to indulge having the desire to do what God is telling us to do here is certainly an important step. And if that desire is there, it is certainly a reason for us to be encouraged. But it's not a simple thing to do. If we are serious about this, putting sin to death, we will know from our own experience that just determining to put sin to death does not make it happen. Temptations are powerful. Galatians 5.17 describes the reality. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The desires of the flesh are the desires of our sinful nature, which is not eradicated until we die physically at the end of our lives. If we are true believers, there will will also be a desire for holiness that comes from 
being united to Christ and having received his spirit. But the desires of the flesh mean that putting sin to death in our lives is not easy or automatic. We have seen that the command to put sin to death calls for a decision, and indeed many decisions. We are to say no, and we are to do no. It is an act of the will, it is a decision, it is an exercise of self-control. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5.23. And we see this with the other exhortations in in this paragraph. Verse 8 says, but now you must put them all away. That's a decision. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Paul is appealing to our will, to our capacity to choose, to decide. He is saying, just say no. Decide not to do those things and follow through with that decision. Put them away. Control your attitudes, control your actions, exercise self-control. However, if we have tried to do that, we know that it doesn't work. Not all by itself. Just determining to put sin to death does not work all by itself. It actually makes matters worse. We don't have enough self-control. Just say no does not work. The solution, the way forward, is the point of Powison's book that I mentioned earlier, which is a profoundly biblical point, as I will show as we go along. The way to making progress against sin is multifaceted. If you take one biblical theme in isolation from all the others, you will fail. That's why the idea of this passage that we must just say no to sin all by itself is not enough and does not work. And indeed, as we have seen and continue to see, Paul is not giving this exhortation in isolation. That's why the fourth word of the paragraph is therefore. That that connects the command to put sin to death with what has come before. You have been raised with Christ. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and so on. And so we are to make the decision to put sin to death and follow through with that decision as we are thinking about the gospel as we are thinking about Jesus and what we have in him. So our focus then is not only on the sin and not doing it and resisting temptations, but it is also at the same time on Jesus and our relationship with him and the strength and the motivation that he gives us to actually put sin to death. These things are integrated. They go together. What we need to be, <clears throat> what we need is to be saying no to sin at the same time. While we are doing that, having our will and our heart strengthened and encouraged in Christ, and we see this in the second verse of this chapter where Paul says, 
Just before telling the, Col- the Colossians to put sin to death, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And then he goes on to say a few more things, and then he says put things to death, put sin to death. And when we studied that verse, we saw that it means looking at earthly life from a heavenly perspective, which means from a biblical perspective of the gospel, and all that is that, that entails. Setting our mind on earthly things, on, on, on things above rather, nurtures our love for Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Setting our minds on things above helps us to see sin for what it really is and obedience for what it really is. It helps us to see the glorious vision of what God is up to in his plan for the renewal of all things and how we fit within that. It reminds us of forgiveness in Jesus and of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what is happening is that as we are deciding to put sin to death and as we are involved in that battle, our faith and our hope and our love need to be being strengthened at the same time to actually follow through, to get up and try again when we fall. As we seek, to exercise strength in putting sin to death, we need a continuous input of strength and encouragement through the gospel. T. Stafford makes this point in an article called Getting Serious About Lust in an Age of Smirks. I have no idea what smirks is. But he writes there in an article about getting serious about lust. He says, desires do not go away simply because we want them to. I think we all know that. Continuing. They do not generally disappear like a soap bubble when we pray. They do fade into the background, however, when a greater desire replaces them. They fade into the background when a greater desire replaces them. So putting sin to death is something that we do. And Paul is emphasizing that here. But the doing, the killing of sin happens in conjunction with many, many other things. It happens as love and hope are nurtured in the gospel It happens as love and hope are nurtured through growing in the knowledge of God. It happens as our relationship with God becomes more intimate through worship and prayer and meditation on the Word of God. It happens when we live in fellowship with other Christians and are inspired by some of them and encouraged and exhorted and rebuked and guided It happens as God strengthens us through the testing and the hardships of our lives. And it happens as the Holy Spirit, through all of this, is working directly upon our hearts. Powison's point is very important and truly biblical. Putting sin to death involves decisions and actions that we take, but the strength to do it comes from God directly through the Holy Spirit working in us, And the ongoing strengthening comes from engaging with the Word of God, living through suffering and from the influence of fellow believers. And so what we do in putting sin to death is related to all kinds of 
other things that make it possible for us to actually make progress in doing it. Let's look at some of the sins that Paul mentions here. The comprehensive term is what is earthly in you. The specifics of what is earthly in you are sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So what is earthly in you, that phrase is not referring to what is physical, but what is sinful. What is earthly in you here is defined by the list that follows. Those things are earthly in you. Any sex, what is earthly in you is sexual sin. So any sex outside of marriage, lusting after someone who is not your husband or your wife, pornography, homosexuality, sex before marriage. The Bible is very sex positive when it comes to sex within marriage, but outside of that very special and sacred place, It is sinful, it is destructive. Sexual sin was common in the ancient world, that's why Paul mentions it here. It's common in our world, there are many temptations. Paul is saying that Christians are to put all sexuality and all impurity to death. Passions in this context also refers to sexual sin. Evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, broader categories. Evil desires are desires for anything that is off limits. According to God's law, covetousness is similar. refers to desires that are too strong. And the connection between covetousness and idolatry indicates that an evil desire is any desire that is stronger than our desire for God. And worshiping something other than God, it is is living for something other than God. And so we have the whole gamut of idols, money, comfort, pleasure, reputation, entertainment, hobbies, loved ones, power, control, security, and on and on. All of these things are good in their place as long as they are not too important to us. All of these things are good unless we are living for them, unless they are our gods, our idols. Paul says that here, too, we're to be putting these things to death. One important part of the Christian life is fighting against all of these sins, killing them, not indulging them, not doing certain things. That's an important part of the Christian life. There's much more to it, of course, but this is an essential Part of it. Verses six and or seven and eight, Paul mentions another list of sins that are to be repudiated. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. In verse nine, a do not lie to one another. This list has a, a bit of a different focus. The first list is mostly on on sins of the heart. They they do manifest themselves in actions, but Much of it takes place in the heart, and when they do happen, they are often private or internal. So sins of the mind, sins that take place, sexual sins taking place behind closed doors. The sins of the second list are 
a little more public, and they have to do with the breakdown of community. They are sins that disturb the fellowship of the people of God. They poison relationships. These are to be put away. A definite act, putting away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, slander, obscene speaking, lying. Put these behaviors and these attitudes away, Paul is saying, to the Colossians and to us. He's going to speak about behaviors and attitudes that we are to put on in verse 12 and following, but putting off is part of the picture. Now, the fact that Paul mentions these two lists to be turned, lists of sins to be turned from, is very important and very helpful and even encouraging. Because it gives us a true picture of the reality of remaining sin in the church and in every believer. Paul spoke of these things to the church at Colossae because it was necessary that he do so. Believers struggle with this, these kinds of sins. These kinds of sins are found in the church. The church is not made up of people who have conquered all their lusts and passions and idols and antisocial behaviors. The church is made up of sinful people saved by grace who are being sanctified, but who still have a long way to go. And that is encouraging. Sometimes you may think, how can I be a Christian when I have not conquered sexual immorality, for instance? Or, what a sad excuse for a church. Is this where there is immorality and malice and slander going on? Paul is saying here that that is a normal Christian church and a normal Christian. He wrote these verses to the Colossian church because it was necessary that he do so. The The Colossians were struggling with these sins. Now to say that that is encouraging is not to say that we can be complacent with sin in our lives and in the church. In verse 7, Paul makes it clear that living in sin is not compatible with true conversion. He says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. There's a difference between walking in sin or living in sin and fighting against sin. In verse 9, he says that the Colossians had uh, put off the old self, which its practices, and they've put on the new self. They've turned from their sins. They've embraced the life of obedience. Their lives have changed. But they were still struggling. There was still work to be done. There was still progress to be made. They were no longer what they once were, but neither were they yet what they would one day be. So there is this negative side to the Christian life in the sense of fighting against sin. Part of what salvation means is to be set free from the power of sin and so to be enabled to put sin to death, to put sin away. This belongs to the good news. 
Part of what Jesus gives us in salvation is the ability to see the ugliness and the destructiveness and the dehumanizing nature of sin. To live in sin is to live in the realm of death. And so to put sin to death is to repudiate attitudes and behaviors that are toxic and evil and harmful. The best thing for sin is that it is destroyed. And so it is good news that we are enabled in the gospel to put sin to death. So let's hear Paul's exhortations here in that light. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Part of what that, this is part of what that means. And so let us be enthusiastic and zealous to root out and to destroy, to put to death everything that is earthly in us. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word and its clear instruction. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and for the gifts that you gave him that he um, that he shared with the church and that we are still benefiting from today. And we recognize that it all comes from you. We thank you for the uh, multifaceted nature <clears throat> of the Christian life. Lord, it is not simply one thing. It is not simply to make a decision not to sin anymore. We know from our own experience that that does not work. But we thank you, Lord, that you surround us with other truths and realities that you are working in us by your Spirit, that your Word is constantly having its influence, and that you use the circumstances in our lives to grow us, and that you use our relationships with other people to grow us. We thank you for all the different ways that you work together to cause us to grow, and we're, that gives us hope. That gives us hope as we remember many instances in our own lives where we have fallen, where we have failed, because we're simply trying to do it through our own efforts. But Lord, it also means that the the way to succeed in putting sin to death is to be constantly nurturing our hearts, our minds, our souls, in all the various ways that you give us to do that. We pray that you would help us to do that and that you would bless our doing that, congregational life and all other aspects of our our lives. Lord, will you use them all and help us to use them as well so that putting sin to death will be part of such a much larger exercise that will include growing in love, nurturing godly desires so that the desires for evil and wickedness will be strangled and slowly crushed. Lord, help us to, to live that reality and in that beautiful gospel way grow in obedience to you. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.